Can you, can you hear me now? We're at the end of our series on the Trinity, and uh, each week we've learned something new about the Trinity, and then also something more about, about the person in the Trinity. And when we talk about the person of, of the Trinity, we're talking more about the, about the role of, of that person in the Trinity. So we have the Father the, and the Holy Spirit. That's right. And each of them, each of them is a distinct personality with a distinct role. But together, they make up what we call the Godhead, or they, it's God, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Now, I want to tell you a few things about the Trinity this morning. What I'm going to share with you right now is very, very cool. How many of when you come to church, you want to hear something cool? Yes. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a little bit complicated, not too complicated. It's, everybody here will understand it, but you just really need to pay attention, okay? So, you, you with me on this? Okay, and I'm, I'm going to start with something that I've shared with you before. I'm going to share it again, but so here we go. <clears throat> I, one of the things I want to uh, show you is that we see manifestations of the Trinity throughout the Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New. Last week, we talked about the, the two powers in heaven that uh, Jewish people believed in for, uh, from the Temple period right up to about 100 A.D., so we're looking at about uh, about three three hundred years, maybe even four hundred years, and um, and the reason they believed in these two powers is because they recognized that there was we saw Yahweh, but we saw Yahweh in human form, oftentimes. And and I pointed out to you last week that these are what we call Christophanies, the appearances of Christ, and it, we see it in the Garden of Eden, where God is walking in the garden, and and so we see Jesus throughout the New Testament, uh, throughout the Old Testament, actually. And so the Jewish, Jewish rabbis talked about the, the two powers in heaven, Yahweh. Both are Yahweh. Now, that came to an end in 100 AD. And the reason it came to an end is because, well, for obvious reasons, because the Christians were calling Jesus God. And so they had to put a stop to that. So what you need to understand is that Christians in the early church recognized that Jesus was God. And that did not in any way go against the theology of the Jewish people at that time. It's really important to understand that. Uh, so we're going now to Genesis chapter 1, because some people wonder, well, you know, is, is, the, is the Trinity really, you know, is that just a New Testament idea, just a Christian idea? I'm going to show you this morning that, that we see the Trinity in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it begins like this. In the beginning, God, and then we have these, those, those, those purple symbols. You don't know what that is. That's Hebrew. And um, it's Aleph Tav, created the heavens and the earth. Now, this is really, really interesting. Because when, when we translate the scripture, there's no translation for that Aleph Tav. Now, in case you don't know what that is, Aleph Tav is the same as Alpha and Omega in the New Testament. Are you following this? There's no translation for this, and you, when you read your Hebrew Bible, you're not going to find this translated in any way. But it's there, under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, right? It's God-breathed. So when, when God inspired men to write the Scripture, they are writing what God wants them to write. And so 
in, in that first verse is inserted the Aleph Tav, which means Alpha and Omega. What does Alpha and Omega mean? The beginning and the end. And so let me just show you right there. There it is in the, in the Hebrew. And whoever's doing the PowerPoint, you're going to have to keep up with me because I've got a lot of slides. Can we give them a hand? Woohoo! Thank you back there. I don't know who's on there. But you'll see, there it is. And there's no, uh, there's no translation for that. So we see, in the beginning, he created Elohim, the heavens and the earth. And, uh, of course, it's read, it's read the other, in the other direction if you're Hebrew. But there it is. What's it there for? So let me just quickly point out to you, um, Genesis 1.1, we've got the, the Aleph Tav. And by the way, we're reading it this way, Aleph Tav. And in Revelation 22.13, the Alpha and the Omega. How many know or recognize that that is not there by accident? That is there by God's design, by God's inspiration. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, this is unbelievably exciting to me. I don't know if you, you've got chills going up and down your spine like mine. But the interesting thing is that it was a... Um, I first heard about this because a, it was a, a rabbi that was talking to a Christian and saying, I've got something interesting to share with you. Um, I shouldn't share it with you, but it's going to help your, it's going to help your cause, he says. <laughs> he, he, and he points, us, he points us out, the Aleph Tav. Jesus, right there at the beginning. And then we read in uh, the next verse, we see, uh, so here it is, in the beginning, God, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Are you seeing this? It's so exciting. And then in verse 2, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so there we have it, folks, right there, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, we see the Trinity at work in the creation of our world. Now, if, I don't know about you, man, but that just sends absolute uh, chills going up and down my spine. There is God the Trinity right there at the beginning. Now, here's what I know. So many people know so little about the Holy Spirit. For some of you, when you hear about the Holy Spirit, you may have grown up hearing about the Holy Ghost. Anybody hear about, anybody used to call it the Holy Ghost? And if I was like a real Southern Baptist preacher, I'd talk about the Holy Ghost coming upon you. <laughs> Glory. I can't do it very good because I'm not a Southern Baptist. But anyway... Um, uh, really, the, the, right, the right translation actually is spirit. That is a, a far better translation than ghost. But um, uh, understand this. We're, we're, we are a Pentecostal church. And if we look at the roots of our assemblies, we recognize the, um, the person of the Holy Spirit and his work in the life of the believer. And for some people, they think that when you talk about Pentecostals, it just means that they're crazy. They're, they're crazy people. That they swing from the chandeliers and roll down the aisles and do cartwheels and whatever. Now, in some churches, you might see that kind of thing happening. Um, but you need to get the, the bigger picture of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in case anybody wonders, yes, I speak in tongues. And we have had messages in tongues here. Um, we don't... We don't prohibit it in any way because that's called quenching the spirit and if somebody here is led by the spirit to speak in tongues um, i will discern for you whether or not it's of god or not um i will, i have actually told people stop stop 
This is, it's, it's, this, is, this is not a manifestation from God. This is just you know, your exuberance and excitement, which is okay. But we've also had lots of times when people have spoken, given a message in tongues, and I have given the translation or the interpretation of that. So for some of you, this is about all you know about the Holy Spirit. So here's what you need to know. The person or the work of the Holy Spirit uh, is is truly one of the, the, the most exciting things that you're going to find in Scripture. And I'll tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit came to us according to Christ's promise, which I'm going to share in just a second. What you need to know is that you and I need the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Otherwise, we cannot be Christians. Did you get that? You cannot live a Christian life if you do not have the person and the work of the Holy Spirit active in you. Now, I didn't say you have to speak in tongues in order for that to happen, because the Bible is very clear that when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is the, is the mark or the seal proving that you belong to God. Do you get that? So I'm telling you, it's impossible, Summer, for you to be a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit or you're not a Christian. Did you get that? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian, you do not have the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to show you in just, just a moment the proof that you have the Holy Spirit working and living in you. But understand this. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. How many know that? The word spirit, in, you know, in, in English, uh, we don't talk in terms, uh, in terms of masculine, feminine, neuter, but you'll find that in other languages, like French, for instance. But we find that in Greek as well. Now, the interesting thing is that when John is, is writing about the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, even though spirit is actually uh, considered neutral, uh, and in some places it's even feminine, um, he uses the masculine pronoun. So he introduces the Holy Spirit as masculine, the way that God and Jesus Christ are, are spoken of as masculine. Now, I've got to just point out something to you. Uh, God is not a man. Everybody knows that? God is, neither, is not a human. He is, he is spirit. In fact, he says, and this is really important, he's, God says, Jesus says that God's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the only way that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ is, this, is if the spirit of God is at work in you, enabling you to worship God and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But... Uh, I've got to point out one other thing about the Holy Spirit, because some people think that he's just some kind of an impersonal power. He's a force. How many remember in Star Wars, they talked about the force? And, and Christians got all excited about that. It's like, what? They all got excited. Oh, Star Wars, George Lucas believes in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, he does not believe in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's a person that you can grieve, you can lie to him, you can be led by him, you can be taught by him, you'll be comforted by him. He's not an it. He's not an impersonal force. He is a person at work in your life. Now, I don't want to get too hung up on that because I could keep going on just the facts about the Holy Spirit. Um, I want you to see this, that when Jesus was baptized, again, we see this is the beginning at the beginning of creation, we see the Trinity. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see the Trinity. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, there's, 
God, God the Son. The heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. And of course, we recognize that, that anyone's talking about his Son, well, obviously, that would be the Father. So there it is. There's the Trinity right there at the beginning of his ministry. And incidentally, we find at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus uses the Trinity is reintroduced. The Trinity is the one in, in whose name we, we baptize people. We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So everybody understands that this is a Trinitarian church. Everybody gets that? And this is a church that, that loves... And believes in the person of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Someone pretend they're Pentecostal and say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ah, That's right. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So Jesus says a curious thing in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call him, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. So we see in John chapter 16, verse 7, he said, it's better that I go away. Now, who here would prefer it if Jesus just stayed here? Wouldn't we just love that? Now, the problem with that is that Jesus was here as a man. This is a big world, isn't it? How does, how does Jesus get around to, to billions of people? It's impossible. And this is why he said, it's advantageous if I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and that way, I can be with all of you all the time. Is that cool or what? No, the disciples had no idea what he was talking about. It's like, what? It's more mumbo-jumbo from Jesus. But you see, they were following him and learning from him and discovering things that they'd never heard before. So I want you to see what happens here on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus gives a promise, says the Holy Spirit's going to come, and then we see the fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 2, 3 to 4. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. Absolutely thrilling. Now, I've got to just point out to you something here. And if you're a Pentecostal, you, you'll, tend to get, you'll tend to start to, to focus in on the speaking in other languages part of this verse. So don't anybody think I don't believe in that, because I do, and I, and I do. In fact, before I came out here this morning, I was praying in my heavenly language. But here's what you need to see. You need to see what happens before this. This is so, so critical. Let me just give you a picture of it. So here... Here are the disciples praying on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And and, and you'll see over their heads what looks like tongues of fire. Now, some of you will remember I've shared this with you before, but I need to share it with you again because there's some who haven't seen this before and some who haven't yet made the connection. So we see that over every one of these individuals, we see what? We see the fire of God, the evidence that each one has the Holy Spirit, or the presence of God at work in them. Now watch this. What we saw in Acts chapter 2 really is is a reflection of what we see in, in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. When God called 
Moses and called Israel out of Egypt. He brought them into the wilderness so that they could worship God. And God said, I'm going to come and be among you. And so what we see here, folks, is what we call the Shekinah glory, the, the pillar of fire by day and the, and the pillar of cloud by night. That, you'll notice that it's, it's, at, the, it's at the front, or, the, the, or I guess you call it the back of the, of the tabernacle, because that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. Does anybody know what the Ark of the Covenant is? This is the place, this is the, the box that held Aaron's rod that, that blossomed, that held manna. It held the Ten Commandments that, that Moses gave. Uh, you may have seen, um, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Harrison, Harrison Ford in, uh, in that, Indi- thank you, Indiana Jones, and it, it shows them you know, just melting under the power of God. You know, it's not far from, from the truth. You, you, don't want, when it, you do not want to touch that um, because it represents the presence of God. So listen, 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 listen. The Ark of the Covenant, on top of the Ark, it's a box that, the, that the, uh, they, the, the, nobody would touch it, not even the priests. They actually had rods that they would carry that box. On top of the Ark of the Covenant are two cherubim, and, and, and they've they're, they're, they're got their hands over what, what the Bible describes as, as the mercy seat. So once a year, the high priest would come in, and he would, he would apply blood to the mercy seat. And in that way our sins would be forgiven, or the sins of the people would be forgiven. But he had to do that every year. Now, just listen to this. He had to do that every year, apply the blood. In Hebrews, it tells us, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so the, the priest is coming and doing this. He has to do it every year. And over and over, over, the, uh, over the ark of these two angels, the cherubim. Now, I want you to just stop and think for a moment. Where do we hear... Where do we first hear cherubim being speaking of, spoken of? We hear about it in Genesis chapter 3. The cherubim are doing what? They're guarding the entrance back into the Garden of Eden. You can't come into the presence anymore because of your sin. Now watch this. This is so cool. So the priest comes in. He applies blood to the mercy seat in the presence of the cherubim, and their sins are forgiven. They're able to come into the presence of God once a year. But they have to do it every year. Why is that? Because their sins are not completely taken away. It's not until Jesus comes and sheds his own blood that people's sins are forgiven once and for all. Never do we have to shed blood ever again because Jesus did it once and for all for all people. That's right. Your sins are forgiven. And here's the thing, folks, there's little details that you read about in the story, you don't really know where it's coming from, but you'll read that when Jesus died on the cross, as soon as he closed his eyes, and and, and it says that his spirit left him, it says that the the temple, the veil in the temple that was between the holy place where the ark was and the rest of the tabernacle, it says it was rent in two, it was was cut in two, and it, it came from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. Isn't that amazing? God did that. God opened the way to his presence. In other words, folks, it's a picture of the Garden of Eden. He's saying, you're welcome back. You're welcome back into the garden, folks. Isn't that something? You're welcome back into the Garden of Eden. We don't need to apply blood to the Ark of the Covenant anymore because Jesus Christ paid it all. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. Your sins are washed away, and the cherubim now are not stopping you. 
In fact, the Bible's clear that we can come boldly to the throne of grace with all of our petitions, with all our prayer requests, with all of our needs. But in this time, the presence of God, the Spirit of God is only at the at the tabernacle. Can we just go back one slide? I don't know if that's possible back there, but there it is. You see what's going on here? Now, now the Spirit of God does not dwell in a temple built by the hands of men. Now the Spirit of God dwells in every believer. That is the good news, folks, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to, I want you to recognize something. There's, a, there's very clear language here. God made it clear to the children of Israel that his job, that he would lead us. How many know that we need to be led by God? This is why we see uh, metaphors in the scriptures like the shepherd and the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep. How many know that you and I are the sheep of God? And he leads us. Now, just watch this. Watch this. So we read in Exodus 13, 21, the Lord went ahead of them and he guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and provided light at night with a pillar of fire. There's the presence of God, but it's at a distance. Jesus comes along and now the spirit of God does not dwell at the temple or at the tabernacle. He dwells in each one of us. How many know that God does not dwell in this building? God dwells in each of us as individuals. This is why we say that the church is not the building, it's you and me. Our faith is internal. There's a lot of Christians from a lot of church traditions, which I'm not going to talk about right now because I don't want to offend anybody, that really believe the building is what holds the presence of the power of God. It doesn't. You and I hold the presence of God. So the fact of the matter is, folks, it just takes two or more believers to get together and we're having church. Hallelujah. So there it is. God leads his people. And then Jesus echoes these very words. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will never leave you. Look at this. He is the Holy Spirit who what? Who leads us into all truth. You see, nothing has changed. God is still in the business of leading his people. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, uh, well, first of all, let me, let me just go ahead one verse. Okay, go ahead one verse. There it is. The Apostle Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So there's that language of God leading us. That's where the Holy Spirit is in us, to lead you, to guide you. How many would say today, Pastor Ellen, if anybody in this room needs to be led by God, it's me. It's just me? Oh, there's two, three. I see that hand. Yes, thank you, thank you. That we need to be led by God. In fact, Paul says, if God's not leading you, then maybe you're not a child of God. This is, what, this is the mark of the believer. You and I are led by God. So, now let us back up a verse to Jeremiah 31, 33. And Jeremiah now is looking to the future. He's looking to the day when Jesus comes and when the Holy Spirit is poured out. This is absolutely thrilling. Now, can I just remind everybody that at the time that Jeremiah wrote this, they didn't have a clue what he was talking about. In fact, there's still many today who don't have a clue what this means. But I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, because I do have a clue. But I know for, for a fact what the truth is. But this is the new covenant. Does anybody know uh, another word for New Testament? New covenant. There you go. But this is the New Testament, the new covenant. I will make with the people of Israel after 
those days. And of course, he's talking about the future tense. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their father, and they will be my people. Jeremiah is looking to the day when the Spirit of God dwells within us. And now we know what God's will is because the Spirit of God dwells within us. And Jesus said, the helper, the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whoever, whatever you want to call him, he is going to live in you and he's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to teach you in all truth. For some of you, you some of you may have grown up in the Roman, there I mentioned it. You grew up in the Roman Catholic background. And with a, from that tradition, and I'm going to tell you, it wasn't that many years ago that a Roman Catholic was not allowed to read the Bible. Did, did you hear that? You were not allowed to own a Bible. In fact, if they found out you had a Bible, you'd be in big trouble. And if you went back to the Middle Ages and they found out you were reading a Bible, you would be excommunicated. You'd be in big trouble, maybe even put to death for reading the Bible. This is because they didn't understand Jeremiah's words. The Spirit of God is going to dwell in us and He's going to instruct us because the Spirit of God dwells within us richly, teaching us, instructing us, guiding us in the way that we should go. My question for you this morning is this Do you let the Spirit of God actually lead you? You got to think twice about that before you quickly answer that. I know that might be what you want to do or you know you should do, but I'm going to tell you that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what you do is you follow, purposefully follow, the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a Christian. And by the way, some of you think, oh, I got a better phone, Pastor Allen. I don't understand this. No, you don't have to call Pastor Allen. Call the Holy Spirit. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. God will lead you. He will guide you in all truth. Now, if you, if you come up with a conclusion that is not, that's maybe a little bit faulty, then it's my job to say, ah, you were going in the right direction, but my brother, my sister, you're wrong. Let me help you with that. Here's what I know. If you know the word of God, God will instruct you. He will lead you into all truth. In fact, he will remind you of everything Jesus says. This is why it's critical, friends, that you read your Bible. Because the Holy Spirit and the Scripture, they work together in tandem. They work together to guide you and instruct you. Now, when people become Christians, God comes and dwells within you, leading you and guiding you and comforting you and helping you. What, what I want to make clear to you, and I'm going to go ahead again now to, to Romans 8.14. Uh, what I want to point out to you is that as Christians, you and I, are supposed to be led by God. Does anybody remember habit number three? That's a mumble by mumble. No, moment by (laughs) moment by moment. Moment by moment holiness. What do we mean by that? When I talk about moment by moment holiness, I'm going to tell you something, folks. This This is nothing that you generate in your own wisdom or strength. When we talk about moment-by-moment holiness, we're talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when you were, listen, listen, you all get this. When you're going to make a decision or when you're going to do something, if it's not what God wants, you will feel a check in your spirit. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? If you're a believer, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. If you're not a believer yet, you might not know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. There's time for you to get saved. 
If you, are, if, if, if you are a Christian today, when you're doing something you know you shouldn't do, you'll feel a check in your spirit and you'll think, ooh, mm, no, I better not do that. Why? Because you're doing what Jesus would do. In fact, really, what we're, what we're saying here in habit number three is ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus talk like that? Would Jesus post that on Facebook? Hey, you know what? I got to tell you, some of you, I don't look at your Facebook posts anymore because it disturbs me so deeply. I'm just just being honest. And someone just told me recently that they actually to block somebody who calls himself a a member of this church because of the posts. Listen to me, folks. This is now. This is where the rubber meets the road. The way you're living right now is. Would Jesus do that? But you see, if you're not being led by the Spirit, it's who cares. If you're being led by the Spirit, it's like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. I can't say that anymore. Would Jesus get drunk? Would Jesus go get stoned? Would Jesus be looking at pornography? Would Jesus be gossiping about people? Would Jesus have a bad attitude? Would Jesus be cursing the people who are driving beside him? (laughs) I would never smoke pot. I might curse the guy driving beside me. Not if you're being led by the Spirit. If you're being led by the Spirit, then folks, you will exhibit what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, And here's the hard one, self-control. Now, I know some of you think, I can't live like this, this is way too difficult. Yeah, that's right, it is too difficult, you can't do it. In fact, the apostles even said that to Jesus, who could live like this? This is impossible. And Jesus is saying, well, finally you get it. You can't live the Christian life according to your own ability or wisdom. You can't do it. And I've watched this for all the years I've been in ministry, for 35 years, I've watched people who call themselves a Christian but live like hell. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it means there's a radical transformation that takes place in your life. It means that you're going to live a holy life. But you don't live it in your own power. You live it in the power of the Holy Spirit who enables you and quickens you to live this life. Listen, I, there so many churches have so many preaching series about how to have a better marriage, how to be successful at work, and how to make lots of money, and how to be a good mom and dad, and how to do this, and how to do that. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I can sum it all up in just a few words. Be led by the Holy Spirit. If you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are going to be a rockin' husband, you're going to be the, the best wife. You're going to be the most awesome parents. You're going to be the best friend. You'll have so many friends. Because I'm going to tell you something. People who are led by the Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit are the most irresistible people around. Your kids will adore you. 
you're thinking, man, how many years has it been since my kids adored me? How many years has it been since my wife adored me? Thank God. Gloria and I often say we've been married 30 years and it just keeps getting better and better and better and better. Listen, don't don't claw for me. Because listen, here's what you need to know. It's not because I'm brilliant or because Gloria, well, Gloria is brilliant, but it's not, be, it's not because, of, it's not because you, know, we, we, you know, we won the, the personality lottery and you know, somehow we're, we're, we're wonderful people. It's that we both try to be led by the Spirit. Does this make sense to you today? And so listen, if you're going to live a life that pleases Jesus... The only way that's ever going to happen is if you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's not, it's not difficult to see who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit and who's under the influence of something else. Hello? Listen, this is the mark of a Christian. We are different. This, it's easy to say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, and this is the church I go to. I don't care. I don't care about that. My question to you is this. Are you under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Are you being led by the Spirit? Is there evidence that the Spirit's at work in your life? Because that's the proof, my friends, that you are, in fact, followers of Jesus Christ. I've got so much more I could say to you this morning. I'm like, I just like run right out of time. You know, in, in Romans chapter 8, it tells us that the Spirit prays for us. How many times you, 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 you've got problems in your life, you don't know what to pray, and the Bible says that the Spirit prays through you. That's, that's one of the great benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ. If it, it says with groanings that words can't utter, we just pour out our heart to God and the Spirit intercedes for us. Wow. Remember I talked about the cherubim guarding the Garden of Eden? You can't get back in. Hey, now that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you can move freely into back and forth, in and out of the garden. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Let me just quickly tell you that the Garden of Eden really is the presence of God. And you have the Spirit of God in you that makes it possible for you, listen to this, to go and fellowship with the Father because that is what you and I were created for. By the way, that's habit number one, a daily walk with God. Wow. You do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, if you're not walking with God every day, then I can tell you this, you're dying. In fact, if, how, how many know that on your car you've got a, a needle that tells you whether the vehicle's full or empty? I once had a, v, a van, a, a work van, that it didn't work, so I, just, I never knew where it was at. <laughs> it's like, I better fill up with gas. It's like, you know, it becomes a compulsion. Hey, listen, if you are fellowshipping with God every day, then I'm going to tell you you're going to be topped up. And you're ready to face whatever life throws at you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, guys, I became a Christian at a young age. And I can tell you that my life is a life marked by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And my mom is sitting here. She she can confirm all this. I sometimes feel like I was raised by the Holy Spirit. I, I felt the Spirit of God at work in me, teaching me, showing me what to do, what not to do, making choices that are pleasing to God. And I'm going to tell you, some of you young people, I, I, was, I got, became a Christian when I was eight. I reconfirmed it at age 10. By age 13, I was baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you this, folks. You, today before you leave, 
and, and maybe when you get home today, you need to start discussing with your spouse and with your family and asking God, God, fill me afresh with your spirit. You have the Holy Spirit because you're a believer, but how many know that sometimes we need to be refilled and refreshed? Sometimes we call it revival. You need to ask the Spirit of God to touch you. The Spirit of God led me to, my, to, to Charleswood Temple, which is now Grace Community Church, and there I met my future wife. The Holy Spirit led me to her. I said, God, who should I marry? And Gloria came to my mind and said, let's do it. Let's do this thing. Actually, she would say it was very slow getting to it, but anyway... Uh, the Holy Spirit led me in that choice. Uh, that when I left Charleswood Temple, I had the choice of either going to Calgary, working with a pastor um, in, right, in the, right in downtown Calgary, big church, or go to Carberry, Manitoba with, I think there were 12 of us there. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to get into the details of it all, but I'm going to tell you that God spared me from a, a real disaster that that church was going to face. And, and because I went to Carberry, then I was able to date Gloria. And uh, oh my goodness, this, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And someone said, are you out of your mind going to Little Carberry when you can go to Calgary and make a name for yourself? Hey, how many know that at the end of the day, we're doing God's will and God knows what's best for us, even when it doesn't make sense to anybody else and even when it doesn't make sense to you. You're gonna do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Hey guys, next week we're gonna meet here in the evening, and we're going to call on the Holy Spirit and ask him to touch us and refresh us and revive us. Next Sunday night, if you're not doing anything, uh, then come here. And if you are doing something, cancel it and come here, because we're going to meet with God in a very, very powerful way. Is everybody up for that? We're, gonna, we're just going to ask the Spirit of God to move in this place. I'm going to tell you, the Spirit of God is, is, is so gentle, so beautiful, so wonderful, and we need a refreshing and a reviving. Would you say amen to that? Amen. So next Sunday night, let's stand together. So Father, thank you for, for your great gift to us, your Holy Spirit. And Jeremiah tells us, dwells deep within us, directing us and guiding us and leading us. Father, we pray that our hearts would be filled with joy today, knowing that we're never alone. Jesus made that promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And how does he do that? By sending his Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So God, we want to go and walk in obedience to Christ. We want to do exactly what the Spirit of God leads us to do. Father, we pray that you would help us examine our lives to see whether or not we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit or if we're just doing whatever we want. God, we know today that to be a Christian means we are led by the Spirit of the living God. So God, we commit ourselves to you right now in Jesus' name, thanking you for your love. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, see you next Sunday night. <laughs>